we are working our way through this letter. And we are in a section that is between verses 3 and the first half of verse 6. So if you follow in the reading of the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and has chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Father, help us to have ears to hear. But Father, help us to be wide open that we can grasp the enormity of this this section and its complexities. And yet, Father, you, in the power of your spirit, by the authority of your word, can place it into your people's hearts so that we'll be overwhelmed by the blessing. Help us, Lord. Help us to set aside our preconceived understandings and notions. And, Father, help us receive afresh this morning the word of the living God. In Christ's name, amen. We're moving into this letter. And I shared with you that verse 3 through 14 is one sentence. It's 202 words long. And it comes out of... Grace and peace be to you. Paul's standard greetings that where there is grace, there will be peace. Then understanding what he's getting ready to go into, he just blows up with an all-inspiring doxology in verse 3. He gives us all of the aspects of blessings. Of every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies that every child of God immediately has upon the moment of their salvation. Now, they don't understand them. But they will be in the process of receiving the information so that they can grasp the magnitude of what their salvation is. And we've been looking at that. We have been blessed By the blessed God in verse 3. I told you that that word in the original language is the word we get eulogy from. We speak well of God. Why? Because he is the blesser. He is the one who gives to us. What does he give to us? Every spiritual blessing. Where are these blessings? In the dominion of God in the heavenlies. Where God is. So you don't have these blessings where God's not. Okay, and I'll let you ponder where that is. Okay, so these are the things that we have to see. And he just starts off with this and he's in awe. And I I told you one of the amazing things, if you spend any time reading the Apostle Paul at all. One of the things that just freaks this boy out is that he is in Christ. I am in him. We are in Christ. And what he's saying in that is that there is no separation from the earthly believer and the heavenly savior. 
And, and that is overwhelming when you think about it. We, you know, we use terminology, well, we are clothed in his righteousness. Okay. You're going to still have to deal with chapter three of this book. Because if you look at chapter three in this book, Paul's prayer for all believers is that the Holy Spirit on the inner man will clean it up so well that Jesus Christ in the inner man will be completely at home so that God the Father will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. So you're indwelt with who? I just had this conversation with a Mormon this week. And it's funny because he didn't know what I did for a living. And I told him he was trying to get me saved because that's what they got to try to do is get people saved. I said, well, you know, I struggle with you guys' teaching on the understanding of the triune God. And he said, oh, now, you know, the Trinity doesn't show up in the Bible anywhere. It's nowhere in there. You can't find that word. It's not in there. And I said, all right, what do you do with Ephesians 3? And he says, well, what's that? He says, because most of the time, he says, people who are struggling with the Trinity, uh, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And, but the truth of the matter is that word is not the, it is a God. And, and I was like, all right. I said, that ain't the one I, I look at. I said, I want to know what you do with that one. And then so he flipped his little Bible open and looked at it. And he says, I'll have to get a hold of the elders and get back to you. Okay. So, and I said, well, can we schedule a time? And, of course, no, you can't. But anyway, Paul moves on now. How this blessed God formed his body in eternity past. This is a two-part section that I'm dealing with in verses 3 through 6. And I'm calling it the Trinity's plan. The first part that you looked at were aspects of blessings. This part you are looking at is aspects of forming of the body. Now... We're going to wander in to some uh, serious meat and potato theology. Okay, because I was looking at this and if you look at the outline on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that I have seven points. I asked my secretary to make me nine copies that, that I have of the outline. I don't think I can get through this in nine sermons. Okay, so that'd be verse four through the first half of six, two verses. But if you read that, you're looking at some theology that could choke a camel. But the problem is, is that people, as soon as you use the word theology, they glaze over. It's sort of like going to geography. I don't need to know where... Uzbekistan is. Okay. And that's what happens to most people. But when I look around at the body of Christ today, the biggest tragedy that exists in it is the lack of theology. Most people in the body of Christ today have created God in their own image. Or they have been around something or a system or a method it's that 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 they just liken God to that method. They never look at it. when people ask me, they say, where do you pastor? And I tell them that it's at Castle Rock Baptist Church. The immediate response is, well, is that 
conservative Baptists or Southern Baptists or see what they just did. They're trying to run everything into what is the unity structure of your church. And I always smile at him and I said, it's an Ephesian Baptist. And they all go, what? See, here's one of the things, if you read the letter to the Ephesians, I shared with you that in some of the early manuscripts of this letter where it says to the saints who are at Ephesus, at Ephesus is not in those manuscripts. If you read this letter, you can insert any local congregation into this. To the saints at Castle Rock. To the saints at Elizabeth. To the saints at Denver. You could put the, any group in this that you wanted to. One of the things that we have to remember. Now I've had the privilege to meet with believers in Israel, in England, in Germany, in Russia, in Azerbaijan. And a handful I have in India and Myanmar. Okay? And one of the things that I have found that was totally fascinating to me, and a couple of crazy bikers out of Western Canada who have all kinds of things going on. All right? But one of the things that I have understood and I've noticed, Christians have a common source of life. Every Christian, I don't care what part of the planet you're from. We have a common kind of life. We have a common destiny of life. True Christians. Listen, let me see if I can explain this to you. We all came in by the same sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We all possess the same divine nature. Every Christian, we are all moving to the ultimate, the same ultimate destiny. We all have a view of the kingdom of heaven and the eternal glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every true Christian does. You can't get around that. So there is a basic life unity among believers. You can't change it. Now, the conflict happens is, is what I call from ignorance. They don't know who God is. If you look in Colossians, if you look in Ephesians, that you would come to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because a lot of people, it's, it's why I taught revelations through the Christmas season. I want you to see the true knowledge. I don't want you to be thinking about some baby in a manger. I want you to think about a king on a white horse. That's what we have. Listen, all true believers have been saved the same way for the same destiny. And we are carried to that destiny by the same eternal life. Every Christian. Uh, I knew a guy who was in church 
a long time. Before he got sick, any time the doors were open, he was there. He was the guy who always did the, the pancake breakfasts and, and all the rest of it. And then he started having some escalating um, health issues okay, uh, from his previous lifestyle. And it eventually kept him from coming to the, to the worship of the saints. And I would take him the Lord's table the first of every month. Me and uh, Hank Smith would take him to the Lord's table. And I remember he, every time you go, he was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And you could tell it. And I remember going there one day and he was a cut up. He was, he, he was, he was a good people. Now, you got to remember, this guy was in the church probably longer than I was old. And I remember going and visiting him. And I had gone by myself. Uh, I was by myself. And he says, I, uh, I'm glad you came. And I said, uh, you know, because I could tell. I said, Ed, what's bothering you? And he says, I'm afraid of dying. And I thought, well, how, what, how can that be? Now, I didn't say it, but that's what my thought was. How can you be in the body of Christ as long as you have been in the body of Christ and now all of a sudden have a fear of dying? So we, we sat down and we talked. And it was obvious that his theology was about an inch and a half thick and about four miles broad. Okay, so it really wouldn't even cover his feet. So I spent some time in, 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 in different, different times dealing with different uh, texts that kind of give him a little bigger picture. And when he finally did pass, you know, he had her down. But I thought, how can you be in a church that long? And then when your mortality is being challenged, you're afraid. Something's not working. Because we have a common life in Christ. Every single child of God has a common life. We are one in a miraculous way. Every one of us that is here today, that is a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, has a oneness that you and I didn't design. You and I didn't perfect it. If you think about it, just a small group. We have different people who have different things that they like. Okay? And there's some things that we like that other people don't like. I remember I got into trouble there for years I was hunting. And people said, well, why do you hunt? Because it's good eating and it's cheap. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a cheapskate. I don't Well, you just, well, yeah, 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 you have to kill it. But where do you think you get your hamburger? You, you think that cows just lay hamburger patties? And the heck do you think is going on? Okay, so, but there was, a, you know, there were times that people was like, well, I just can't believe you'd go out hunting. I said, there's a reason they call it hunting and not finding. Okay. We are one in a miraculous way. And you know what the truth of the matter is? That is the central theme of this book. Central thing. We are one in Christ. And the ramifications of this are in every chapter of this book. 
We are one body in Christ. We are called the bride. We are called the building. And here Paul shares an amazement that we are the body of Christ. Now, you got to get a hold of this for a little bit. Okay? The emphasis of this letter is our absolute unity. One body responding to one head. And the pastor is not the head. So the church is one in responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. The collective church is one responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you travel outside of the United States, it will freak you out when you see it. In the United States, we try to entertain as many people as possible so I can fill up every one of these chairs so I can get so much cash coming in that I can hire ministers to minister to the people sitting in the chairs. That's not biblical. The Bible says that if you are saved, you are a minister. And we each have a gifting and a calling that was preordained. When that is happening, then there is a unity in the church that is more than just a unity of a common agreement. Like Baptist. What does that mean? We baptize. Well, wait a minute. Where does it say Baptist baptize? It says everybody's baptized. It is not a unity on some kind of philosophy of ministry. That's the big buzzword now in the pastorate. What's your philosophy of ministry? And I smile at him and say, present every man complete in Christ. What's yours? It is not a religious system that makes us unified. It is because we are in Christ, we are united. I met a young man, or a young man, no, he's probably older than me. I hope he's older than me. <laughs> I need some people older than me. I'm feeling lonely out there. The guy's he knows a lot of the people. It's the first time I met him, and he knows a lot of the people, and he's just wrote a book. Okay, and he's handed it out to all these pastors. We get together on Thursdays and these guys are all touting this book, how this book is so amazing. This book will revitalize your prayer life. This book is going to it'll make you walk on water. And I'm like, wow, man. And and, and I and then and, and, and I said, so what's amazing about that? He says, this guy thinks we should pray scripture. What? And I just sit there for a second and they says, well, have you read his book? I said, no, nah, I haven't read his book. And I, I said, you know what? I have yet to be with you guys. And I don't know how many years that I have been meeting with you guys. Anytime I've prayed out loud, I have prayed. Scriptures. OK, now you guys might not be smart enough to know what scriptures I'm praying, but that's not my problem. That is, I was, I was stunned. Well, you know, there's power when you pray scriptures. Oh, really? 
My mom taught me that uh, in the 80s. She should have wrote a book. I'd have been wealthy. But I did have a good meeting with this guy. He knows some of the men that I know. He's just moved here. He's, he listened to my prayer that I prayed, and he said, uh, Ephesians. I said, yeah, we're starting out the year. We had better be getting the inner man squared away. So that unity is not a system, philosophy, agreement, system. The unity is because we have a commonness of life, and the commonness of our life is the Lord Jesus Christ. I wrote this down in my study notes. It's a quote, and I forgot to write the dude's name down that said it. So it's a quote, so you'll just have to go look it up, Google it, and figure out who said it. The common eternal life of God pulses through the soul of every believer, unquote. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 17 says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So each believer is one spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the focus of Ephesians is that we are a body of believers. We are now in the theology of that body, which is the first three chapters of this letter. The practice of the body is in the last three chapters of this letter. All right? This is theology. This is not waist-deep theology. This is how long can you tread water theology. Because it will hurt your head. I guarantee it. I have fought in this battle, in this realm, my entire Christian life. It begins by taking us into eternity past to see the Trinity's master plan. That's how it starts. The Trinity all having their part in the master plan that was done before the foundations of the earth. We see how we are a part of that body. And how miraculous it truly is. I can summarize this whole entire book in one verse. Chapter 4, verse 13. Okay? But note, he's coming out of verse 12. And what is the last words in verse 12? The body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay, now, I hate to break the news to you guys. You know what he just told you right there? That's what church is for. That was the Trinity's master plan for the body of Christ in eternity past. We are part of that body. What are we doing? We want to come to the unity of faith. What is that? The complete content of the gospel. Guess what? It all starts at the same place. 
the knowledge of the Son of God. It all comes from the basic content. Then once you have that basic content and you are growing in that content, you will come to a place that you are what? That belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, note, he's not saying that pastors come to the fullness of the knowledge of Christ. That ain't what he's saying. Every believer, the intention of the body of Christ is to grow every single person into the direct spitting image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you call job security. I'll let you ponder that one. Listen, knowing that we are moving to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. That is the intention of the bride of Christ, the building, the ecclesias, the called out ones, the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us. That's the goal. That's the goal. God's purpose for the body. Now grab a hold of this because this was planned before he laid the foundations of creation. God's purpose for the body is that it would manifest uniformly, totally, completely, corporately, Jesus Christ. That's the intention. A little overwhelming, isn't it? Think about it for a second. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how long you've known the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how long you haven't known the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the intention of the church? Till we look just like Christ. Every single one of us. We are as a body to manifest Christ in the world. Listen, body one, the incarnation. Body two, the incarnation of Christ in the bride. Body three is the return of Jesus Christ. God, when we celebrate Christmas, God manifests in the flesh Jesus Christ. Joy to the world. God manifests in the flesh through His church. That's the master plan. That gets a little bit on the what? I remember listening to a preacher one time preaching on this very thing. He says there's something being said around the world, all, all over the world today, and it's said in multiple languages, but it's the same thing. So people are greeting each other, and the first word thing, words that come out of their mouth is, how are you? He says if you do that to Jesus Christ, he will say, my head is fine, my body is shot. But see, he had traveled around places. His name is Ramesh. He had Traveled to the Sudan. And they had asked him to preach a message. It had to be translated in five languages when he preached. And it's done in the city square. Okay. So it, uh, if you've never 
spoke with an interpreter, it, it can be challenging because you're waiting for them to get done so you can get going. And they get, and it's and, and if you're doing it with five interpreters, I've done it with two interpreters, and it's sort of like, where was I? <laughs> okay, so if with five, I can't imagine. But anyway, he's preaching. All right. He's given the basic, straightforward gospel and come to repentance. And so he calls. Jesus Christ called us publicly. Three guys came forward. Weeping. He laid hands on him. He prayed for him. Uh, the interpreters prayed for him in their own languages. And, and so it was all done. All three guys had their heads cut off before sunset. There's a Muslim community. He said, if he'd have known that, he would have never called for them to come forward. I said, well, Mesh, look at it from this perspective. They're better off than we are. I mean, talk about the shortest walk with Christ ever. We are Christ in this world. We're, you know why? We ain't reaching nobody. I, I talk to the pastors here in town. They ain't nobody reaching nobody. All it is is uh, sheep sharing. That's it. Move them around. I have a friend who's in England. Nobody's getting shared there. It's all generational. If this family was saved, then grandma's got the, and then grandma, and again, and it just stays in the generation. Nobody shared. You know why? The world looks at the body of Christ and what do they see? We are to be Christ in the world. We are to be corporately to give the testimony of the risen Jesus Christ. The problem is, if anyone, any one of us, fails, then the kept corporate testimony is hidden. We've got a thing going on in our community now that I, I wish I'd have thought this up and had put into place a company that had done this. But they get these little stickers, little cliche stickers of your church. Okay, and you, and you, and you put it on there. And some of them are, it says The Rock. Some of them, they, they just got all kinds of these churches. And I have had some encounters with some of these stickers. And their vehicles must be truly holy because the driver ain't. Okay? And, and I made the comment to him. I said, you guys might want to be a little more careful who you're selling these stickers to. Because every once in a while, uh, a demon takes over the car. And they act like lost people. I wish I had come up with the company that could have made all them stickers because I could probably retired. But I said, there are some out there who are touting the testimony of your congregation that is not a pleasant testimony. When someone doesn't operate in the power of their spiritual giftedness. And what I mean by that. Follow through on their responsibility to love one another. To comfort one another. To pray for one another, to edify one another, to rebuke one another, to bear one another's burdens, so on and so forth. When we don't do that, we cripple the body. And you know what is amazing to me? 
The world is just as fast as the roadrunner will point out that the manifestation of Christ is untrue. And then the world's evaluation of Christianity is hindered. And when I look around the body of Christ right now, in our community, that's what I see. And let me tell you something. It only takes one person. It only takes one. That one person then the testimony is undercut and the credibility of the entire congregation is kicked to the curb. And it don't have to be the pastor. I mean, the pastor has a bigger ripple effect. There can be any given person who identifies with that group of believers. Verse 13 there says, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man. To the mature man. Why? So that the fullness of Christ the world would see. A dear friend of mine used to use a phrase and I, I cherish it. Flesh it out. How you live tells everybody what your faith is in. What your emphasis in tells the world what your faith is in. What is important to you is fleshed out. Christ likeness. Listen, this is the Trinity's master plan. This is the Trinity's master concept. That's what you're getting ready to move into. That's mind boggling. And I'm just laying you a framework out. You put together. This was all put together before the foundations of the world. This was all put together in eternity past. Kind of cool. Being a Christian that God designed before the world began. Okay, now I'm going to lay this out real quick and I'm going to end with this and then we're going to jump into it next Sunday. Okay? When we look at this, there are three elements looking at the past. Okay? We will look at the present of this plan in chapter 2. There's three elements in what we're looking at here in chapter 1. Okay, in the past, if you go back to chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, in the past is election. Verse 4, he chose us in him. Okay, this is past tense. Then you have redemption, verses 6 through 11. And verse 7, he, in him, we have what? Redemption. We have, so I have election, I was chosen. And then I have redemption because I was chosen. And the third 
thing that happened in the past is inheritance. Verses 12 to 14. Verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance. Verse 14. Given as a pledge of our inheritance. That's the past. So you have chosen, redeemed inheritance. All of this was when? Before the foundations of the world. All right. So if you look at it, there are three phases in the Trinity's master plan. God's election, working out redemption, which results in an incredible inheritance. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did this before the foundations of the world. It's in the past. So, first thing we'll start with next week is election. And there are people that just... I have seen fistfights over this doctrine. I literally have. Never seen anything like it. You're like, wow. And I mean, vulgar language and yelling and just, I'm like, wow, cool. Okay. First time, first message I ever preached at Castle Rock Baptist Church was this doctrine. And when I got done, I had people cussing me when I left. But what do you do with the text? Yeah, that's, that's why I always duck out the window. This doctrine is hard to understand, and I've learned that. The doctrine of election, I hope in the next couple of weeks I can make it clear for you. The problem with the doctrine of election is that if you do not bow before God, you're just going to get mad. Okay? Because it may go against what you believe you have been taught. But... I also know Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the works of his law. Okay, so there are some things that God says, it's none of your business. Isaiah says, his ways are higher than ours. And one of the things that I have learned as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, is I take my rest there. In your outlines, you see that there are seven elements involved with election. Okay, so we're going to spend some time on this. There is the method, it is election. There is the object, which is the elect. The time, eternity past. The purpose, is holiness. The motive is love. The result is sonship. And the goal is glory. And all of that deals with the aspects of forming the body of Christ. So like I said, we are getting ready to jump into the deep end of theology. So bring your life preservers or little vests or whatever you need. And, and, and get ready to hold on to your chair. Because um, you need to understand something that right now I have over 100 pages of notes on verse 4. Okay, so you're still going to get robbed. Because if 
if I stay there, then we will all be in glory and I'll still be explaining election and we'll all already know. Okay? It's awesome stuff, but you have to bow to it. I remember when I was doing my own study on the second coming of Christ, my biggest problem was putting away my preconceived notions. Okay? I mean, it was driving me batty. The same thing with the doctrine of election. Doctrine of election proved to me that no man wrote this book because no man would write that doctrine. And I've seen guys have fistfights over it, so I was right. No man would write that doctrine. Okay? So it's going to be awesome. But I want you to think about this as we close. The intention for the body of Christ is to be the manifestation of the incarnate Christ. That's the intention that the church is here. Okay? And that's awesome. That's the plan. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that uh, even as Paul started off, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Father, may that be our doxology. May we understand that as we go into this, we will speak well of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we let's set aside our preconceived notions. Father, may we set aside the things of this world that so easily entangle us. And may we grasp this so that we may understand that we are predestined as adoption as sons, according to his kind intention. Father, we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Help us, my king. Um, there is no man adequate to deal with this. So, Father, I pray that even now you go before me with your spirit of the living God and that he would even now be preparing the soil that we would take deep root in this and be overwhelmed with the privilege of being sons of the Most High. To you, my King, in Christ's name. Amen.